Welcome to Export Stories, a podcast featuring first-person insights from the wide and sometimes crazy world of U.S. exporting. Your host for Export Stories is Betsy Olam, president of Olam International, a U.S.-based export management company. Betsy has made a 37-year career of developing global sales and distribution for U.S. companies. Like you, she loves great stories. You don't have to be an exporter to enjoy the stories we're going to share with you each month. We're so glad you've joined us. Now, here is Betsy to introduce today's podcast. Hello, bonjour, hola, konnichiwa, ni hao, marhaben, and shalom. Welcome to Export Stories. I'm your host, Betsy Olam. Thank you for joining us and listening today. Today, I'm honored to have as our guest, Tom Shorma, CEO, President of WCCO Belting, Inc. He joins us from their headquarters in Wapaton, North Dakota. Hi, Tom. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Betsy. Glad to be here. Well, great. I'm glad I said Wapaton correctly. That makes me happy as, as we get started here. So the story of WCCO Belting seems to be a family story, but it's also a story of industrial success in the heartland. Uh, would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about your company's story? I'd be happy to. Um, as you stated, I lead a business called WCCO Belting, but the Shorma family business story started way back on April 1st, 1954. This year we celebrated our 65th anniversary of family business. Oh, that's wonderful. My father actually, yeah, started it as a shoe cobbler in the basement of a clothing store in a town of less than 6,000 people, more of like a village. He mm -hmm. uh, eventually used the equipment uh, that he had for uh, repairing shoes sewing machines to repair and make truck tarps for the local farmers. Eventually, he moved out of the basement unit into a remodeled grain elevator. So that was kind of the start of the story. Wow. Um, my two older brothers, that there actually are eight of us kids, and I'm number three, had actually joined my father and were already working in the business while I was in college. And when I graduated with my business and marketing degree in 1980, I also joined the family business in charge of sales and marketing. And we had about 20 people or 20 employees at that time. Mm -hmm. So right after I started, we ended up introducing a patented new product into the trucking industry. And the company really started to grow. The growth led to my father being named the National U.S. Small Business Person of the Year. He's wow. the only one from North Dakota ever to receive that award. And he got that from then President Ronald Reagan in the Rose Garden in the White House. So it was a pretty special time for us. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was pretty amazing. And I guess to make a long story short, over the next several years, we continued to use innovation to grow and expand the company. And ultimately grew it to more than a thousand employees producing rubber products, plastic products, wood products, metal products, and fabric products for a lot of different industries all under the same roof. So it was a pretty exciting time. All, are all of those products related to belts, 
industrial belts? No, in fact, uh, for example, the wood products we made, we were the first company in the world to make veneered raised panel kitchen cabinet doors. Oh. We also made, if you see in home centers now, the white kitchen cabinet doors. Mm -hmm. We also invented that technology. In fact, the press, a uh, big me membrane press, press mm -hmm. was used to make those doors, is today in our facility making black rubber belting. So it started making white cabinet doors. Today it makes black rubber belting. Huh. Um, yeah, we also made um, metal components and fabric components for the truck cover industry. Mm -hmm. And of course, we made rubber conveyor belting for the agricultural and industrial markets. And all of that were basically was being done in the same facility with different divisions. That's ultimately how WCCO belting came about. It was one of those divisions that uh, my siblings and I purchased from him in 1992 and renamed it WCCO Belting. I see. Now, some of the other companies, I think you, did you tell me one time that your siblings are heads of other companies or something like that? At one time, like I said, back in 1992, we split the eight different divisions that we had built up with a thousand employees and we mm -hmm. split them up and the, myself and my siblings purchased four of the eight companies. Wow. And my oldest brother took over our trucking company. We had an over-the-road commercial hauler. My next oldest brother took over our truck equipment company. And my father came to me and asked me what I was going to do if I was going to run the rubber belting division or the wood division. And I said, none, I quit. So I <laughs> left the family business, started my own company for 10 years, and uh ended up coming back in to run WCC Belting 18 years ago already. Wow. <laughs> Time flies. But that yes. that had to have been great experience to go off on your own for a time. I don't know what it's like to work well, for a family business, but I would think it gives you some perspective. It was a great learning experience because, uh, I mean, I was already – in charge of the sales and marketing for a very diverse group of products, rubber, plastic, wood, metal fabric. Mm -hmm. But I also took on clients. Uh, we were a consulting company to help clients grow their businesses and earn more profit. And as I found clients in industries that I knew nothing about. And that was by choice and by design because I wanted to continue to learn how others did things. Right. But ultimately, it was a great experience of learning for 10 years, and it helped me when I came back into the family business 18 years ago. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, so how did, how did the export part portion of your business, how did that start? Were you involved from the beginning in the exporting, or uh, it seems that you had took a leadership position in that? uh area yeah well maybe the place to start is to kind of tell the story of wcco belting um it was one of those divisions that uh, my father created um we are basically a problem solver that are today are often referred to as the leading value innovator in the rubber belting industry mm -hmm. 
This is because we design our own fabrics. We use our own proprietary SBR rubber compounds to make conveyor belt solutions that are not typically found anywhere else in the world. Okay. We say that no one in the world makes what we make how we make it. Mm -hmm. And we supply those products to people that manufacture equipment, the OEMs, the original equipment manufacturers okay. and distributors. And, and, and these are in industries that include agriculture, aggregate, uh, the industrial market, like package handling, ski resorts, amusement parks. And then a growing segment for us is in the recycling industry. We're introducing some new stuff in that market that are really going to allow all sorts of recycling equipment to operate longer and more productively. So then... Um, Today, it, it evolved into where we're actually supplying conveyor belting to customers located in 20 countries around the world. 18 years ago, when I came back into the family business, we were a much smaller organization of about 30 people, mm -hmm. and we only supplied products to North American customers. Today, we're global, and that growth has really, uh, uh, that has allowed us to be uh, to grow for yeah. our business. And in fact, uh, create some fantastic career opportunities for our workforce. That could never have been possible had we not made the decision to seek customers outside the United States. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's got to be challenging to have such diverse, uh, you know, products and, and markets that you serve, but it sounds like y'all have the long experience in doing that well i often get asked by business people as well as college students where i speak about how we went about locating and qualifying new customers around the world um i i jokingly tell but it's very serious in fact business yeah. leaders and college students that it is in fact easier today to find a new customer in a place like Argentina than it is in Arkansas. <laughs> and if you let that soak in, I mean, there's just so much help out there yes. to uh, support businesses looking to expand globally, True. both governmental and voluntary help that right. are set up to help uh, companies like ours find right. new export markets and customers. It is amazing. Uh, I noticed from your biography that you have won the E-Star Award and the E-Award, I guess, from the Department of Commerce. Can you explain what those are? That's very impressive. Yeah, because of us embracing global trade and, and being able to find new customers and grow our business through exporting, um, the E-Award was actually created by President Kennedy. And the E-Award is to recognize U.S. exporters who have been able to grow their exports for five consecutive years. And we were able to do that um, back, you know, some days ago now, years ago, mm -hmm. uh, successfully. There's another award, and it's called the E-Star Award. Yes. Um, the E-Star Award is literally the highest form of recognition that businesses can receive from the U.S. government for their exporting. 
and to qualify for the E-Star Award, which is actually a very small group of companies in the United States who have ever received this, you have to have 10 consecutive years of revenue growth due to exporting. Gosh. And uh, in 2016, we literally um, had our 10th consecutive year of exporting growth by selling, like I said earlier, into more than 20 countries in any given year. That's We that's could not remarkable. have possibly done that without the support of a number of different organizations, including the U.S. Commercial Service. Right. For, for those that aren't aware, it, it's the Department of Government that supports companies looking to export. Yes. Every state actually has a local office except one, which I won't name, but um, literally every state has an office and and those services are provided to U.S. companies and funded through our tax dollars. Exactly. Because because it's so important to our economy, the exports are so important to our economy, and that's why there's tax dollars uh, providing resources. For exporters, I mean, exactly. it seems obvious, yeah, exactly. but uh, it may not be obvious to everyone. It's it's very well, valuable. It never ceases to amaze me how many businesses that I run into across the United States that have no idea of the services that the U.S. Commercial Service provides to companies. I think that's true. Uh, it, it, yeah, I, I spoke on another radio show several years ago. And this gentleman was actually teaching at a major university, and he had never heard of U.S. Commercial Service. Wow. So it's not, yeah, it's a great organization that that really provides some low-cost, no-cost services to help companies um, find new markets and find new customers. Exactly. Exactly. So, well, uh, yes, uh, and and we have talked about on this uh, program before, but it's really important that people understand what great services are available there. Um, so that's great. Well, I think it would be nice if you don't mind to talk about some of your stories from from your many years of experience from the twenty plus countries that you serve. We'd love to hear some of your uh, special stories. Well, I'd, I'd love to share some. I don't know that you have enough time to hear all of them, but I'll pick a few of them um, well, that let's, are pretty special. Sure, let's get started, and, and we do have time right now, so it's great. All right, well, the first one that I, I, I tend to call uh, or refer to is no matter where you are, it's all about relationships. And it's how I ended up on a competitive sailboat in Sydney Harbor of Australia. Oh my. It was uh, about 10 years ago. And uh, I, with a group of North Dakota companies going to Australia, we already had developed some customers there. And um, I ended up, we ended up arriving on a Saturday evening. And on Sunday, I had a quick morning meeting with a new customer in Australia that I had never met. And so this was the first time we had met face-to-face. We'd provided them some product. And we had a good conversation. And at the end of the meeting, uh, he said, so when are you coming back to Sydney? <laughs> and I said, well, gee whiz, I'm going to be traveling around for a week, but we fly out of here next Sunday. So we'll be coming back here Saturday morning. 
And he said, well, gee Liz, uh, how would you like to go sailing in Sydney Harbor? Oh, and gosh. I said, well, that would, that, that would be amazing. I'd love to do that. And so I'll call you when I get back to Sydney. I did so. And uh, he picked me up at the hotel. And we're driving to Sydney Harbor to get on this sailboat. And just out of the blue, he says, well, I suppose you're wondering why I invited you to go sailing. <laughs> and I said, well, I just thought you were being a nice guy. I'm a foreign <laughs> visitor. And he said, nope, that's not it. And I go, really? Well, what is it? He said, it's your sandals. And I go, my sandals? What? He said, the brand, the brand is called Keen. And Keen sandals are made in Australia. Our sailboat is a racing sailboat sponsored by Keen Sandals. I had to invite you. That's so amazing. Up, yeah, spending a, a, a full day sailing and working, and I was the grinder on the sailboat, all because I traveled to Australia meeting a new customer wearing a special pair of Keen Sandals that I had bought the day before. So, fun story to tell. That's a good one. And just curious, was that like an America Cup standard uh, racing boat? I mean, was it that high quality yeah wow. it was it was very similar to that exactly and uh and it was a working sailboat because it was they literally would race it frequently between sydney and melbourne along the coast in order yeah. to train wow and uh, that day they were taking it out and they got to be a grinder on uh, america's cup sailboat for a day is that hard work well i was the biggest guy amongst them so uh they gave me the job, but it was definitely work, but it was certainly a lot of fun. A great experience. Yeah. And ultimately, that gentleman is still a long-term customer, and we talk about it every time we get together and laugh. I love that. I love that. Well, that's a good story. That's a good start. Uh, keep going. <laughs> All right. Well, the next story I would tell is actually from a trip to China. Okay. And I, I, I tell it because... Uh, it helps perhaps people understand that you're really never alone out there. You may be traveling around the world to different countries, but there's always someone around that can give you help or support whenever you need it. Mm -hmm. I was actually traveling to China and uh, we were traveling into a, a large city of 8 million people. And it's not a coastal city and it's not a tourist city. Mm -hmm. It's a place that manufactures and, uh, custom engineered fabrics for people all over the world. And uh, we had made a trip there and we had uh, um, kind of had a little jet lag. So we were going out that evening to dinner and walking along this old part of the 5,000 year old city along this little river. Oh my goodness. And uh, myself and two of my staff were with me, an engineer and our supply chain manager. Can I ask we what- just walking along. Can I just ask what part of China? this was in well it's it's central china um okay. in a city called suzhou okay yeah which, okay. which is uh, inland from shanghai yeah but but it's a literally a five thousand year old city wow. it's not a common common tourist attraction no. it's really an industrial city but mm -hmm. uh, a very beautiful city with a lot of history to it and uh the three of us along with our host were walking along this little kind of a stream, kind of a decorative area with some little shops. And there were these little bridges that are uh, going over the stream. And we stopped and said, hey, let's just 
the three of us go up on this bridge out in the middle of this 5,000 year old city off the coast in a non-tourist area and just stand up on top here and have our host take our picture that we can bring it back and show people. <laughs> so the three of us go up on top of this little bridge and they, she takes a picture and I noticed this kind of decorative little boat, you know, um, mm -hmm. for people that can go down the, the stream and look at the area, come right underneath our bridge. And I look down at this boat and I'm shocked. And I say, well, Mike, what are you doing here? Uh -uh. And he says, Tom, what are you doing here? Uh -uh. Well, I'm doing business. And he said, well, so am I. This is a gentleman that worked in the North Dakota trade office. Um, I never knew he was coming to China. He never knew I was coming to China. And here we are in the middle of this old city under this little bridge. And I'm on top of the bridge and he's going right underneath it while I'm standing there. I'm telling you, so, I hear so many stories about people from small towns running into people from the small town somewhere on some part of the globe. It's, it's amazing how it happens. Yeah, and this wasn't an airport or a tourist attraction. Right. This was in the middle of a big city of you know millions of people. Oh, that's so great. You're really never alone out there. There's always people around that uh, are kind of trying to do the same thing. Right. Oh, that's good. Uh, that's that's perfect. Uh, that's that's great. Uh, it's it's hard not to have great stories from visiting China. It's just such a fascinating country, and there's so much to it. It's so. Large. It is. It's so large. So much, so much history. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and what are where are some of the other? Do you have story other stories from China or or maybe some of the other countries? Well, well, well the the last one that I'd really love to share is a story that I tell people that it's never too late, and I love telling this story because it was the last international trip that I took with my father. Aww. His father, my grandfather, was born in the Czech Republic right. and immigrated to the United States. My father is a first-generation American. He grew up only speaking Czech in his home mm -hmm. in a small town in rural North Dakota. So he spoke no English when he started grade school. He had recently retired, so I invited him on a North Dakota trade mission trip mm -hmm. that I had agreed to go along on to mm -hmm. try to find some new prospective customers in Kazakhstan, Russia, and Ukraine. Well, my father still speaks fluent Czech and also does well speaking and understanding a lot of the Slavic languages. So I thought, well, he could listen in and help me maybe build some rapport with the people that we're going to meet with. Great idea. Well, as it yeah, and, and plus, I just was a great opportunity to have him come along, yeah. and uh, he had recently retired, so um, it was our last chance to maybe do this international trip thing. Mm -hmm. Well, as it turned out, he sat um, quietly during our first meetings in Kazakhstan. He had never been to Kazakhstan, mm -hmm. and after those meetings, he gave me some good advice, and that ultimately led us to some new business. We then traveled on to Russia, Moscow, in fact, mm -hmm. and he became much more engaged with the people that we met, uh, speaking a little bit during the meetings in Russian and, uh, you know, creating some relationships and some trust because he could speak their language. Sure. And then by the time we got, we got to Ukraine, 
I laughed because he pretty much just took over the meeting. <laughs> and I just sat back while he, he led the talk. I didn't need to do anything. And in fact, what was interesting was the language interpreter that we had retained along with us didn't even have to translate. Wow. So it made the discussions go very smoothly because, of course, sometimes with the translator, you're always waiting for them to translate to the customer and then back to you. And it can be kind of slow and more deli- a more deliberate process. Right. But uh, Dad took over and he was able to talk and uh, help us generate some new business for WCCO. So that uh, was a really special time and a special trip. I imagine. But, Did, during yeah. his career uh, with the company, had he traveled some internationally or did you do most of that type of? No, he, he traveled extensively to Europe. Uh-huh. He had also actually been to the Czech Republic when it was still part of Russia. Um, so he, he had actually done a lot of trips to, to uh, uh, international trips. Uh-huh. Um, along the way. But uh, what was interesting in the rest of the story, for this story in particular, was uh-huh. at the end of the trade mission on our flight home mm-hmm. to the U.S., of course, my father thanked me for inviting him along and said that he had so much fun that at the age of 71, he was going to unretire <laughs> and start a new exporting company. Uh, to supply some much-needed equipment into those markets, which he did. And he called it Shorma Exporting. Uh, He actually used the Czech spelling of S-O-R-M with a carrot above the S uh, as the name of that exporting company. So, um, yeah, uh, those are some really special memories um, to a lot of different fun places. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I bet he his taste of retirement, it wasn't what he had thought it would be, I guess. So he, he missed uh he missed the business. He missed Yeah, he he was a true blue entrepreneur and I think what he missed most of all were the relationships, both yeah. with the people that helped him be successful. Yes. The customers and the vendors. They're all important to his success. And you really do develop relationships with people no outside of the U.S. no differently than you would inside the U.S. Some, I have some very special friends today uh, located all over the world. Yeah. In fact, uh, just a couple of years ago, I took my wife and children uh, because a couple of our customers in Australia pleaded with me to bring them over so they could, you know, meet them and show them around. Right. And uh, when I did so, they hosted us all over the country, different places on different activities. And uh, it'll be a memory that my children will remember forever. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, I'm, I'm just curious, does your Czech background, did that um, have, did those skills from your family in uh, in the Czech Republic have any influence on the business that your father created? Was there something about well, being from that area that translated no, over? No, not really. Not really. Um, my ancestors are from a small town just outside of Prague. Mm-hmm. And they were farmers. And my father grew up as a farmer in a, the small town or small community of North Dakota. Um, he ended up going into or enlisting into the service and served in the Korean War. 
Oh. Ultimately, he ended up uh, behind enemy lines. And uh, while he was hiding and trying to get back to his his uh, group, um, he told himself that if he ever got out alive, he was going to do something unique and special. And uh, ultimately, that led to him um, start, starting his business. And uh, eventually, uh, I, I tell this to people often that uh, I think my father is probably the best engineer that I've ever met. He's not a degreed engineer, right? But he certainly, uh, with his farm background, um, has always embraced innovation, and that's really what has led all of our family business, and certainly is an important part of what has made WCCO Belting successful. Yes, is innovation. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the, the machines that used to make white cabinet doors today make black rubber belting. Well, that's not only product innovation, but it's also process innovation. And sure. that's something that we've always embraced as a family. Right, right. Well, that's, that is fascinating. I have a question for you. Um, for WCCO Belting as a Midwestern exporter, uh, what are some maybe the of the unique trade issues that affect your company and maybe other industries in your region? Do you have any anything like that well one thing i think people would know is that north dakota by population is a very small state right we only we only have roughly 720,000 people in the entire state and to be successful north dakota companies to grow must export and i say export in a broad sense mm-hmm. that we have to sell people outside of North Dakota, not necessarily outside of the United States, but certainly outside of North Dakota, which includes the global market. So everyone in North Dakota, whether it's the farmers that grow our commodities, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's the oil industry, whether it's manufacturers, uh, technology, um, North Dakota is home to the second largest Microsoft campus in the world. Huh. Everyone. I did not know that. I bet a lot of people don't yeah. know that. Yeah, so everybody has to export in some form or fashion. So um, trade challenges are there for everyone. And yeah. unfortunately, as you well know, not all trade is fair amongst right. different countries. Some countries are far more protective than others. Right. Um, I, cur- I currently serve as the chairman of the North Dakota District Export Council. Right. And we're a group of volunteers that help exporters um, deal with challenges. Um, we're mentors, advisors, promoters of exporting. Mm-hmm. And all of us, whenever we get together, talk about the challenges that we're dealing with. Um, you know, we're strong promoters of free trade agreements. Right. But at the end of the end of the day, um, not all trade agreements are fair. Right. Um, and so we have to deal with those challenges. And for those that are new to exporting, it should never, you know, uh, stop them from exploring new markets. Correct. Because there are many markets that are very easy to enter and are very fair in terms of trade policies. So you go after the easy ones and you uh, leave the more difficult ones and the challenges that they have uh, for another day. Exactly. Exactly. There's so many markets. 
So, and um, just just curious as far as export distribution from North Dakota, uh, is there enough import traffic to allow for you know a good pool of sea containers and and that kind of thing? The logistics of exporting from the heartland is that com- well, complicated? It, it it can be. Um, we're trying very hard for the last half a dozen years to try and get a container hub in North Dakota to make it easier to uh, get enough containers. Sure. Um, North Dakota is still an agriculturally based economy. Right. Um, we do a lot of exporting of commodities, even mm-hmm. those that we add value to. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of containers that are needed. And typically with commodities, um, your margins are fractions. Exactly. So it's very difficult to, to source cost-effective container shipment. Um, fortunately for us, our product has a much higher value, so the prices of containers are less of a factor in our ability to source them. I see. But uh, generally speaking, there's enough access between the Minneapolis metropolitan uh, hub mm-hmm. as well as the Chicago hub to be able to uh, find enough means and methods to uh, get our products distributed around the world. Oh, that's great. I was curious about that. So, well, um, Tom, this has been such an enjoyable discussion. Is there anything else you'd like to add uh, before we close? What I always uh, close with, with people, whether it's business leaders or students, is um, remember again that there are there are great organizations that are out there to help you learn how to efficiently, cost-effectively enter new markets. It, again, it is easier to find new customers globally, literally, than it is to find new customers domestically, and it's because of the U.S. Commercial Service and all the benefits that they provide. It is the District Export Council of each state. Mm-hmm. Um, those volunteers are business leaders like themselves, uh, trying to promote and help those that are new to export. And then each state also has a Department of Commerce, typically, that is involved in leading trade missions to help companies so that they don't have to go into these new markets alone. They can actually travel with other business leaders and uh, feel more secure in meeting and developing new relationships. So don't um, feel intimidated or uh, we're leery of exporting to new markets just because of the unknown. There's a lot of people out there willing to help you. Thank you for saying that. That's a really important lesson. Uh, and, and I want to also say to our listeners, we'd love to get a conversation going about this episode and, you know, just more general discussions about exporting. So I, I hope that you'll reach out to me on exportstoriespodcast.com. You can go to the contact page or you can post comments on the episode page. Uh, I'm happy to post your comments or questions, and we are also on Twitter. So uh, we're really trying to create a community of exporters here, and uh, we hope you'll reach out and chat with us. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for being our guest today. It was a fascinating discussion, and we really appreciate it. Thank you, Betsy. 
Thank you so much for listening to Export Stories. Perhaps you have a good export story that you would like to share with us or a comment about today's podcast. You can send your ideas and comments to our website at exportstoriespodcast.com or to Betsy Olam on LinkedIn. Subscribe to our newsletter at exportstoriespodcast.com so we can alert you of upcoming episodes and share resources with you. We're building a community of export storytellers, so please share this podcast with your friends who have interest in exporting. 